When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Post Media Off the Post Hockey Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by national hockey writer Mike Trakos. And trades are happening as we speak. This is your trade deadline edition. We're going to talk Eastern Canadian teams, Western Canadian teams, and then look generally around the league at what's going to happen. Uh, Mike, obviously, while we're recording this, other people could be traded. So we're not going to get into specifics per se, although we saw Duchesne get moved out of Ottawa today. So, you know, we want to talk today about the generalities about which teams have a lot to to do, a lot of work to do, uh, which way we think this is going to go, and, and carry on the themes that we've been talking to for the last couple of weeks. So if we start in the East, let's start with Ottawa. Um, obviously, we know where Ottawa is in the standings. We know where they are with their their free agents, and we know that they want to reap a benefit um, at the trade deadline and maybe get some other more talented pieces out because it doesn't look like they'll stick there. Uh, is They're the ones who seem to be following the right strategy so far. Yeah, I kind of wrote uh, right before the trade deadline or a couple of weeks ago that they had the most uh, the gain and the most to lose because, you know, they've got three rentals in Mark Stone, Matt Duchesne, and uh, Ryan Zingle. And I think it's paramount for them to either um, sign all three and you know, keep them there and show uh, their young core that they do have uh, some veterans that they can look forward to uh, growing with. Or, you know, get as much as you can uh, for them. And right away, we've seen Matt Duchesne get moved to Columbus. And I thought, you know, from the outset, uh, they get a first-round pick, uh, which, depending on where Columbus ends up, is going to be either in the teens or in the 20s. Um, but they also get uh, two, I, according to guys I've talked to, B-level prospects. And I'm not going to go into who these guys are because I think it's far too early. All I'm going to say is they weren't Columbus's number one or number two prospect, but... Um, that can change in the next coming years. But the, the interesting thing is if Columbus resigns Duchesne, they also get that conditional first-rounder. Um, so Ottawa could end up with a first-round pick in 2019 as well as a first-rounder, uh, an additional first-rounder in 2020, which is pretty good. And, you know, based on that, you have to think that if Ottawa does move on from Mark Stone, that the asking price is going to be even richer than what they got for Matt Duchesne. So, um, you know, first step in what could be a real productive uh, uh, trade deadline for the Ottawa Senators. And let's let's be real. I mean, this has been a disastrous 12 months for the Ottawa Senators um, without even getting into the uh, garbage around the owner and their arena and what their long-term future is in that region. Um, you know, this is a team that had traded away their first rounder from this year, which is a terrible thing in uh in a rebuild and then of course eric carlson leaves also this has to be a win and ottawa fans have to be happy with this that they're they look like they've they're clearly like yes let's get young assets let's start over and they're acting on it there's no pretenses here yeah and it's funny paul in 12 months they lost eric carlson 
uh, what could end up being uh, Jack Hughes, uh, the number one overall pick, as well as Matt Duchesne, <laughs> Mark Stone, and Ryan Dezingle. Um If you had told a Senators fan that uh, that 12 months ago that, that this was going to happen, uh, I think they've all blown their brains out. <laughs> that is just awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, you've got to make the most out of it. And, you know, I, I still think at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of unhappy fans. And I've kind of flip-flopped on whether or not they should have kept or tried to at least keep one or two or even all three guys. Like, hey, this is a Senators franchise that, you know, let's let's face it, has had a hard time uh, keeping their best players around. Like, they, they shoved Kyle Turris out the door. They did the same thing that Eric Carlson. Um, Daniel Alfredson didn't leave on great terms when he ended up going to Detroit. Um, there's very few players that they've been able to kind of draft, develop, and retain. And, you know, if I'm a Senators fan and I'm looking – ahead and I'm saying okay well in a number of years Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat are also going to be up as unrestricted free agents where is the faith that this organization has the money or inclination and has shown players that you know this is a team and organization worth sticking around for like I'd be very worried based on what's happening at this trade deadline in the sense that um, you again once you're, you're, you're letting talent walk out the door um, where's the guarantee that it's not going to be Shabbat and Kachuk in a number of years? And, and I think that's the main worry if I'm uh, an Ottawa Senators fan today. Yeah, I mean, the happiest people in Ottawa might be the front office of the Ottawa Red Blacks realizing that they might um, they might have a little more leeway to, to convince people to come watch their product instead in the CFL. Um, let's switch over to Montreal. Again, Montreal to me have been um, a fascinating team really this year. Uh, expectations really low going into the year. Um, probably, but well, not probably. They have played better than people expected. Uh, their trades so far have have worked out. Do you think Ottawa? And, and considering the the GM Mark Bergevin was on very shaky ground, uh, people shocked he still had a job, but things have worked out for him in the last twelve months. Where do Montreal go for here? Do you see them just being sort of wait and see? Maybe we'll get the right offer. Do you see them being aggressive to say, let's make a move this year? Or do you see them being more patient going, no, we're, we know we're still kind of building towards something and let's do it that way. Well, Bergeron's gone on record saying that he's not interested in, you know, packaging away uh, picks or prospects for rental players. Um, and when he says picks and prospects, I gather that means like the first round pick or the second round pick and top end prospects. <laughs> Uh, for short-term gain, and it, it's we'll, we'll see if he holds true to that. Um, like you said, no one expected Montreal to be in this position. The fact that they are just on the bubble and what Columbus did is going to directly affect uh, Montreal's chances of making the playoffs. Um, we'll see if that still holds true, but um, that's a team that, you know, based on what they've done this year, um, has a lot of potential going forward. you got to think that they're one of their top young players, Jesperi Kokanaimi. Um, is looking like he's going to project to be a number one overall center. And um, he's still a teenager, uh, which is just remarkable. So similar to Vancouver, I think they're sort of a way ahead of schedule. Um, And if they can get into the playoffs, it's all the better for those young players. Well, similar to Vancouver in a way, Mike, but I think Vancouver's all in on younger people, players and a rebuild sort of post Sedin's era. But if I look at Montreal, this is where I find them so fascinating. They're on the fence in so many areas. Like if you got Shea Weber and Carey Price, you can make the argument that 
maybe the next year or two is when you have to swing for the fences. But as you talked about, they've got all these good young players as well, where you might say, no, let's just be patient and let's let's look more three, four, five years down the road and let's not just try and make the playoffs. Let's Let's actually try and build a team that can win. I mean, the East, I will be honest, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We'll touch on it later. The East is, to me, is so much more competitive than the West. And if you're the Habs, do you just want playoff experience or do you think you could do anything if you get in? Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they are sort of a rebuild on the fly uh, type of team. And I don't know, when you got Carey Price, I don't know how you feel about him, but he's a difference maker. And like, obviously, Tampa Bay is a juggernaut and no team would ever want to face him in the first round. But if there's a team that I think that could definitely upset them, um, aside from maybe the Pittsburgh Penguins, just because you got Sidney Crosby, well, Montreal Canadiens have Carey Price. And that's the X factor right there. And if Carey Price stands on his head, well, all bets are off. And I think that's the great equalizer when you're talking about the Canadians is that it's not just um, a a team that's sort of punching above its weight. It's it's that, plus they've got Carey Price. And like I said, when you got Carey Price in that, um, there's no telling how far he can take you. So do you expect Montreal to be busy at all as we approach the deadline? I don't know. Maybe just kind of around the edges. I don't think they're going to be yeah. on Mark Stone, obviously. I don't think they're going to be uh, big players for even like a Wayne Simmons. Um, but, you know, like some of those depth moves I could see them making. Uh, I, I still think they need a little bit more help on the back end and maybe someone that could kind of uh, fill in on the third or fourth line. That's not going to cost you a lot. That's not unreasonable to uh to acquire at the deadline so um aside from that it's not going to be any moves that sort of generate huge headlines in, in my mind now mike deep breath your specialty <laughs> the toronto maple leaves yeah um, don't, don't expect look, a whole lot of comment out of this one i don't think they're going to be doing a whole lot but let's go <laughs> well that's that's what i wanted to ask you i mean obviously they made their move with muzzin um you know they were very patient with Nylander, got him under contract Austin Matthews is Austin Matthews. John Tavares, the big move, off-season move that people were surprised at, absolutely, uh, you know, delivered this year. Maybe he still has some room to go, can get even better, but you'd look at a lot of these pieces and go, yeah, the Leafs have done everything right. Look pretty mediocre to me right now. Fourth in the East, Mm -hmm. 6-3-1 in their last 10. Does that spur any... I don't want to say panic, but maybe more urgency uh, leading up to Monday, or do you think they're pretty set with their plan? Yeah, I agree with you, Paul. Something's not right there in Toronto, and I I wonder if it's a simple fact that this team is just maybe still a little too young to take that next step, and um, the idea that they were going to be the Blackhawks where in year three everything was going to come together and Taze Kane um, and company were just going to lead that team, I I don't sense that it's coming for Matthews, Marner, and Nylander. Um, At the same time, it feels like they're capped out. Um, unless they want to delve into their top-end prospects. They've already given up a first-round pick for Jake Muzzin. Um, there's rumors that they they might be going after Rangers forward Chris Kreider, who would add definitely a little bit more toughness, heaviness, whatever you want to call it, grit, edge, uh, something that's lacking. Um, well, we noticed it on uh, Thursday night's game against the Washington Capitals. You noticed it last week against the St. Louis Blues. This team can get pushed around at times. Um, it's built for speed and skill, but it's not built for strength and uh, sort of that pushback mentality. And um, I just don't know what Kyle Dubas does. Um, like I said, if he wants to go and give up a top-end prospect for uh, a rental player, um, it could be something that bites the team in the butt uh, next year or the year after. Because, like I said, when you're when you're paying Matthews and 
but Marner's probably going to get the summer and Tavares and Nylander so much money. doesn't give you a whole lot of room to fill out the rest of the roster. So the Leafs are going to need a lot of cheap guys coming up through the system. And those cheap guys, I don't think you can afford to give up the deadline. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Leafs don't do a whole lot uh, going into Monday's trade deadline. If this is sort of the Muzzin deal is all we see um, uh, in terms of the trade market. In there's always those sort of grizzled veterans who you think can help you in a playoff run. But what do you see in the AHL for the Leafs? Do, do they? I mean, we know about their their guilt edge prospects that are all playing in the NHL. Do you think they have enough sort of B level prospects in their minor league system where you know maybe you're going to have trouble as you talked about the cap fitting them into the big club in the next year or two that they might be assets they could move. That's the thing. Like the guys they have in the system are getting high marks in terms of they're going to be NHLers at some point. They've got this kid, Jeremy Bracco, who um, is tearing it up in the AHL. But the problem is he looks smaller than Mitch Marner. And they've got a couple defensemen uh, that they've drafted in the first round in subsequent years. And again, uh, Timothy Lilligren or Rasmus Sandin, if they make it to the NHL, these aren't going to be big bruisers. They look like they're um, again, um, similar to kind of Quinn Hughes uh, in Vancouver, where uh, their their number one asset is moving the puck, not in taking the bodies. So um, while that's good, um, you're going to need it. And I, I just don't see like what they need right now is some size and some heft. And that's not coming through the minors. And if you're going to get it, whether it's Adam McQuaid with the Rangers or uh, Wayne Simmons in Philly or Chris Kreider at the Rangers, it's going to cost you more than just one prospect. It's going to cost you possibly the 2020 first overall pick or first round pick, as well as a couple prospects. And like I said, that, that might be too much to go all in at this point in, uh, in the Leafs kind of juncture of where they are and sort of their, their arc. Well, you know, Mike, my, my sources are telling me that if they wanted size and grit, there's a guy in Edmonton called Milan Lucic who may be available. Oh, but they also want a guy who can skate, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, the it's funny thing is that is the ex- <laughs> no, that is exactly the kind of move the Leafs would have made, you know, ten years ago. Thankfully, it seems like with the with the seventeen general managers they have in that room now that uh, Wiser prevail there. Um, we'll leave the East there. This is the end of the first period. We'll come back talk a little bit about the West. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10-3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10-3, Canada's News Covered. This is the second period. Welcome back to the Off the Post uh, Post Media Hockey Podcast. Mike, um, we talked about the teams in the East. Let's talk about the Canadian teams in the West now. And let's start at the top. Uh, you know, I, for people who are regular listeners, I don't want to be repetitive, but I keep waiting for Calgary to come back to earth a little bit. And it's just not happening. I mean, you have to be so impressed with what this team does. This is a fairly wide open year for me. I mean, there's a lot of quality teams, and I think we're going to see a great playoff going ahead. Does that mean Calgary keeps the faith or does it also mean that with it being a little more open, they could maybe make a, a big move here at the trade deadline and maybe see if that could put them over the top? How do you see the Flames treating Monday? Yeah, yeah, I could see them definitely making a move. And as good as they've been, um, this is a team that doesn't have James Neal. And when they did have him, um, he was not producing like a James Neal. So 
Um, in the back of their mind, they're hoping that once he gets healthy and he comes back in the lineup that he can be a difference maker. But I also think that where they are right now, uh, it wouldn't hurt to kind of get some assurance. And I've heard that they're sniffing around Mark Stone. Uh, if they added a guy like Mark Stone, regardless of the cost, I think that would put them definitely in that top three to five group of, uh, of Stanley Cup contenders. And at the same time, they don't necessarily need that to be amongst that top three or top five. That's how good the Flames have been and how consistent they've been. So um, I can see this going either way. Um, I, I would expect that they're in on a lot of guys, but at the same time, if they go home empty-handed, um, no fan is going to be complaining because, geez, like, you, you see it, Paul. Like You're waiting for that bubble to burst, but it hasn't. And this Flames team is for real. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, even though they've had solid goaltending, that was a question on day one. And I think that's still a question today. I mean, can you afford to go with a Mike Smith in the playoffs? Um, certainly, both the guys they have are capable of of lighting it up. Uh, and we've seen goalies get hot just in the playoffs and and bring some good results there. But you and I talked about this last week. There is something weird about the trade deadline that you just don't see goalies. Um, I guess you can have insurance with a with more of the backup role, but. When you have a team that has question marks in goal, the history tells us that people just will not go out and pay for a goalie at this at this point. Yeah, and I'm with you. Like between Riddick and Smith, uh, Riddick and Smith, they they've done the job. Obviously, it's been a perfect tandem. At the same time, it doesn't seem like both guys are ever hot at the same time. <laughs> like right now, I think yeah. Smith has taken over the net and he's looked pretty good. Um, but what happens when they both go cold? And what happens if that happens in the first round? Um, that that could end up being Calgary's Achilles heel, but where do you what who do you see up there that could be an upgrade? And I mean, the teams are out of the playoffs for a reason; they don't have good goaltending. So, um, anything short of maybe getting Sergey Bobrovsky, who also has a terrible playoff record, um, I don't see where they can upgrade a position where you know, based on the numbers and the fact that both guys have kind of carried the load at separate times, you would argue that could be a position of strength. At the same time could also be their undoing. Absolutely. Let's move to Winnipeg. Um, preseason Stanley Cup favorites in, in many, or at least Western Conference favorites to get to the Stanley Cup. Maybe struggled a little bit off the start, then looked real good uh, not too long ago. Struggled a little bit of, of late. I mean, 4-4-2, four, four, and two, their last 10 definition of mediocrity, really. Um, is this just Winnipeg kind of battling through the schedule? Or do you feel that this is a team that feels they need to do something, again, to get them over the top? You look at a team with those expectations, Mike, they're fourth in the West right now and super competitive. You look at San Jose, who's really hot in front of them, Nashville, who's a handful, and we talked about Calgary. This is what I love about the trade deadline. If you're sitting in that general manager's office in Winnipeg, do you have some guts and actually go out and do something big here and say, no, this is a year we really want to make progress? I would. I would definitely be making moves. I'd be swinging for the fences, but I'm not Kevin Sheveldayoff. Kevin Sheveldayoff. And <laughs> if anyone knows his track record, it's that he loves sitting on his hands and doing nothing. Um, the fact that he traded for Paul Stastny last year uh, was a shocker. I think a lot of people were uh, <laughs> really surprised that uh, this guy would actually pull off a trade of that magnitude at the deadline because that's just not in his MO. Um, and we'll, we'll see what he does at this year's deadline. I've written numerous times in the last couple of weeks that, Winnipeg better get a number two center, um, if only to somehow light a fire under Patrick Line. And uh, Matt Duchesne's off the market now, but um, uh, even a guy like Derek Broussard or Eric Stahl, who plays just down the road in Minnesota, 
I, I think would help tremendously um, going into that playoff run because, you know, for the first time in the franchise history or since they went back to Winnipeg, the Jets started the season with an eye uh, as to, okay, well, we reached the conference final last year. Now it's time to go to the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure there. And I think it's a, it was a tremendously long season. And then right now we're seeing sort of the dog days of the season where you know, Winnipeg's just not going right. And you hope that it's just a, a minor lull, a minor funk where they can all of a sudden snap out of it once crunch time comes around. But um, it would definitely help them to get some new life in there. And um, hearing reports that Nikolai Ehlers could be back from injury as early as tonight, and that's going to help, but I think they also need one or two or maybe even three bodies to kind of inject some life into that lineup. Ask you about the Canucks because I know you've, you have spoken to Jim Benning fairly recently. Um, this is a team where you could look at they're definitely in on futures, but I don't see what they have to trade. Um, you know, Edler dealing with a concussion. You don't know what that's going to be like when he comes back. Brandon Sutter out for the year. Uh you know, Tanev's, Chris Tanev yeah. permanently injured. This is like, it's any looking good. <laughs> you could see. No, any piece that they have that you could see being moved for even a second or third pick. I mean, unless someone is desperate to take Louis Erickson's contract off their hands, I don't see how Vancouver makes any a, a move, even if they wanted to. They've got no pieces to deal. No, it would be interesting. And I, I don't know the timelines on this, but if Quinn Hughes is out of... Um, his collegiate playoffs. I, I wonder if they take a crack at bringing him up in the lineup and if that sort of can be an injection. I don't know if that's even possible. Um, no, it has been. It's been confirmed. He They're going to sign him and he is going to play once his season's over. So that could, confirmed that last So week. that could be your Charlie McAvoy from a couple years ago when he uh, joined the Bruins. And may, maybe that's the deal that um, the Canucks end up getting. But I don't know how you feel about it. If, you, if you'd rather just see them, you know, kind of roll the dice right now. And if they make the playoffs, they make the playoffs. If they don't, well, you're still happy with the growth that we've seen out of um, definitely a lot of their young individuals uh, like Elias Peterson, even Jake Furtanen had a monster year by his standards. So um, I don't know if that's and enough. He's, he's just gone out for a month with a cracked rib. So yeah. it, again, like just when you start talking about a guy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, the, the one piece and, and I laugh because I, I had referenced Milan Lucic earlier um, you know, Eric Branson has become the whipping boy for Canuck fans. You know, unfortunately, he's one of those guys when you have a top five, when you're drafted top five in the draft, you have this albatross around your neck that you're a bust. He is a physical defenseman. And, uh, you know, who knows in the right situation in past years, maybe a team like the Leafs would say, yeah, let, let's look at this guy because you look at his Certainly you look at his his physical dimensions and you think, well, there's an old-time defenseman, but I think that the expectations of that pick and how bad he's been with the Canucks I think would scare a lot of teams off. I don't see people going in on it, but that's really the only chip I can see that they could, they would have to move. Yeah, and, and if you do move him, what are, you, what are you realistically getting there, Paul? Like, is he worth a second rounder? Oh, fans would be happy here with a third or fourth, fifth rounder even. Just get him out of here. It's become that bad. So you're, uh, you're not really selling if you're just getting what a, a low yeah. a, a low round pick and you know maybe... A scratch ticket. <laughs> that's basically what it is. <laughs> but I don't know. Like Vancouver is one of those teams where, yeah, I could see them just... They're not buyers, not sellers. They're just kind of, like I said, rolling the dice and hoping that that West is so bad that they sort of... Uh, slip into a playoff spot unnoticed and uh, that, that's enough even just getting um, taken down in the first round uh, and that's enough of an experience factor for a lot of those young guys moving forward 
Now, speaking of so bad, we have to talk about the Edmonton Oilers. Do we have to? Now, <laughs> I, th- I think we do. Because it, am I contractually I mean, obligated to talk about the Oilers right now? They keep slipping farther away from the playoffs. And I mean, you fire your coach, you fire your general manager, you make trades. Like, I don't know what's left in Edmonton, and I still can't figure out what's so rotten there that you've got one of the best players in the world, best young players in the world, you've got complementary pieces, and you just seem to be falling farther away, not getting closer to it. Do they look at the trade deadline as any sort of a remedy? Like, let's pick up pick. They don't seem to be tanking on purpose, but they are getting better, higher lottery odd, draft lottery odds as we get, as we go along. Well, the name I'm watching is Yessi Pugliarvi, and you mentioned top five picks, and how they have that albatross kind of hanging around their necks. And we saw Dylan Strom get moved, and obviously Chicago might be regretting it now um, based on how well he's played for Chicago and arguably on the best second the best second forward line in the NHL right now, him and uh, um, uh, Alex DeBrincat. But uh, I wonder if uh, the Oilers, and we've heard comments from the his agent, uh, I wonder if they, they end up moving him for a change of scenery. And, you know, I, I hope they don't. Um, uh, that has one of those trades written all over it where Edmonton fans are just going to regret this because I can see him, you know, finding success in another market, um, real easy now that the pressure is off and, uh, now that he's maybe developed properly. So that, that's the only name I think teams would be interested in. Uh, we joke about Milan Lucic. He ain't going anywhere. Chris Russell's not going anywhere. Um, the one piece they had to move was Cam Talbot and he's already out the door. So, um, you know, barring a trade for Yessi Poyoyarvi, um, I don't see a whole lot happening with Edmonton. And you know, th- this might be the status quo um, as we go forward. That, that, there's a lot of immovable contracts on that roster, and it's going to just take time and patience, something that Edmonton fans probably don't have a whole lot of now. All right, uh, Mike, we will leave the Canadian teams there. We'll come back in the third period, and I want to throw some other teams' names at you and get your thoughts on that when we return. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the third period, the Off the Post, Post Media Hockey's podcast. Um, Mike, all right, you just brought up Chicago in our second period. I wanted to ask you about them. 8-1-1 one, one in their last 10. 11th in the West, but they're only one point out of a playoff spot. That's that logjam for that last playoff spot in the West. Um, they just got back man, Corey when Crawford. You look at how, getting, yeah, and, just and got so back the goalie. look at that. You talk, <laughs> yep, got back the goalie. You look at Debrinkat, the way he's been playing. You talked about Strom. Patrick Kane lighting it up again. Uh, is this a team that that maybe those teams at the top of the West are looking and going, yeah, I want no part of the Blackhawks? I wouldn't want any part of them um, for the same reason why I don't want part of Pittsburgh Penguins. When, whenever you got Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, um, even Duncan Keith. He's not the Duncan Keith of yesteryear, but he still knows how to play. And come playoff time, he I think he rises his game rises to another level. So that's a team that sort of scares me, especially now that Corey Crawford apparently is uh, returning to the lineup, you got to think they went the whole season without their number one goalie. Um, a guy that his save percentage was ridiculous last year before he went out with an injury. And uh, as important as Carey Price is to Montreal, you can make the argument that Crawford was as important to the Chicago Blackhawks. So 
Um, you know, as well as they've been playing right now, uh, I imagine Crawford's going to make them even that much better. And uh, I wrote this week that I'm betting that they're in the playoff spot. They're going to win uh, one of the wild card positions. And if so, uh, I wouldn't want to be Winnipeg or Calgary or whoever has to face them that first round. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't answer whether or not they're going to trade anything, but um, I don't know. Well, I don't even know if they I, I need think, to make a trade. Uh, honestly, I think the Dylan Strome yeah. one was strong enough, and getting back your goalie is better than any deal that you can make at the deadline. And they've, yeah, you're right. They've made their moves early, and I think they're just riding the wave right now. Why, why mess with a chemistry that clearly seems to be working? And another team in that category would be St. Louis. From the worst team in the NHL to fifth best in the West, nine one and nine and one in their last ten. Um, what the hell is going on in St. Louis? <laughs> well, Jordan Bennington has been a revelation in that, and um, honestly, I think Craig Berube. Um, not enough was mentioned when he stepped behind the bench because in his first few weeks, uh, not a whole lot changed in St. Louis. And I think sometimes it does take a little bit of time for a new system, a new approach. Uh, to take hold. And I think we're starting to see that. Like uh, beyond the goaltending, St. Louis has given up far fewer chances, far fewer shots. Um, and a guy like Tarasenko, who was just god awful in the first half, I looked at his um, points since the All Star break, and only uh, Nikita Kucherov has many has more goals, more points uh, than Tarasenko since the All Star break. So he's going, Petrangelo is going. Obviously, the goaltending has really just been outstanding for them. Um, but yeah, that, you know, I, I, I don't know how you felt about the blues going into the season, but on paper, I thought that was a playoff team. Um, uh, I didn't think they were going to be nearly as bad as they were, uh, when they ended up firing Mike Yo. And, uh, the fact that they're playing this well, well, I didn't expect it, but I, I did expect them to be a playoff team. So it's not completely a surprise when you look at, uh, what they, uh, went into the season with in terms of guys, uh, uh, those additions. And maybe those additions just took a little while, like Ryan O'Reilly, Tyler Bozak, when you're talking about two uh, centers in your top six, um, that's, that's a huge change. Uh, that's a change that usually takes a, a, a few weeks, if not a few months. And uh, for the Blues, it was the latter. You know, what did I think of St. Louis before the season? To me, St. Louis, Colorado, and Dallas are all, all seem to be the same team. They have this young, elite, elite or borderline elite talent that every year you can see them taking another step and becoming a contender, and every year they find a way to disappoint you. Yeah. I don't know what it is about those three teams. They always should be better than they are, but as St. Louis is proving right now, when they put it together, they will be a handful. Just don't play Chicago um, in the first I, round, because that, that always ends up exactly. wrong. <laughs> I don't think the numbers work out that way now, but maybe they can collapse in the, in the conference final. Um, another team in the West I have to ask you about, San Jose. 8-1-1. Uh, one one. Again, they got Carlson. Maybe took a while for everything to fit there. Maybe the Sharks are just bored with the regular season. But, man, they look a scary proposition right now. Yeah, and I don't think they need to add anything. Um, I don't even know if they have the cap space to add anything. Um, I'm more curious. Well, Doug Wilson likes to tinker. That's the yeah, only thing, right? I'm more curious to see if Carlson ends up help resigning, though. Um, and that's, that's a story that not a lot of people, I guess, are talking about, is that uh, they're going into this trade deadline with their – one of their best defensemen still um, as a huge question mark going in, into the offseason. And uh, Eric Carlson could be this year's John Tavares um, in the sense that he could go into unrestricted free agency. And I don't know if the Sharks um, care or not. If they if, if they end up winning a, a cup and losing Carlson, I don't think they would care. But um, I'm real curious to see if that ends up getting solved in the next couple of weeks or at least in the next couple of days. But 
Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know what they need. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're seeing out of San Jose, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of holes right now. No. Well, what we do need to find out is what kind of pajamas Eric Carlson wore as a kid. <laughs> That's right. Maybe we'll have some indication. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe they were maybe they're Canucks. Maybe they were. Um, that's Elias Pettersson apparently was wearing Canucks apparel when he was five. Maybe Carlson was too. I, I do look at San Jose though. And that to me, again, you look at teams that are just absolutely fascinating to, to kind of see where things are going. If you're the GM and you think that and you think we're going to, it's going to be tough for us to resign uh, Eric Carlson. Granted, there are cap issues to deal with, but this might be your, we got to make a major move because it's this year, right? You look at the age of some of their players. San Jose is the textbook team of, rebuilding on the fly and being able to stay in that mix all the way along but they've never got over the line so yes san jose one of those teams that i think they they have an opportunity to do something bold and and let wonder if it pays off we've talked about these guys virtually every podcast since christmas the new york islanders um they've obviously passed the leafs they're in third place in the in the east um again they were a team that's not playing with the weight of expectations they've had the Look, the the the, our, our, the Barclays Center sucks. We're going to move some games back out to the Nostalgic Coliseum, and they seem to have caught some fire with that. This is a very intriguing team, um, and a team that I could see standing pat or making a big move because they're in a position where no, they're playing with house money in many respects. Mike, do you think the Islanders are going to be doing much headed into the deadline? I think so. And you know what? Lou Lamorello, I think, is a big believer of um, if, if the team – has shown um, an ability to um, put itself into that kind of uh, limited group of being a contender. I think he likes rewarding that effort and rewarding that group and showing them that you know management also backs what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I've said it from the outset. Like I, I could have saw uh, them getting a guy like Artemi Panarin. Um, they've got the assets. They've definitely got so many prospects in their system, um, having a lot of top end picks in the last couple of years, but. Um, I could also see them just getting a guy like a, maybe like a Wayne Simmons or uh, we'll see what Carolina ends up doing with Michael Ferlin, but someone like that. Uh, we know how Barry Trotz likes to coach, very defensive, very big, very heavy. Um, so I, I'm kind of eyeing some of those guys, maybe an Adam McQuaid on defense, uh, someone that can kind of provide a little bit more jam to that lineup. But um, it, it will be interesting. Obviously, the goaltending has held them in. They're again scoring from all three lines. Um, but maybe one one thing that they are sort of um, looking to do, and especially if they're going to have to face a uh, maybe a red hot team like the Columbus Blue Jackets in that first round, is I think they do need a little bit more size up front still. Now, Mike, please, please tell me that the Boston Bruins, who are nine and one in their last 10, are not going to win the Stanley Cup. I've had enough, and it's nothing to do with 2011. It's the Red Sox, it's the Patriots. I'm done with Boston. They can't win three championships, and who knows about the Celtics. I mean, I, I don't know how they're doing this. They're a good team, solid team, playoff team, but, you know, one of the best teams in the NHL at this point? Yeah, you know what? I think uh, Leaf fans definitely, like, breathe a huge sigh of relief that Matt Duchesne was going to Columbus because not only is Matt Duchesne not going to be a Bruin uh, come playoff time, but I think it means that Artemi Panarin is not going to be a Bruin as well. So uh, two guys out the door definitely for the Bruins, but... Unfortunately for you, Paul, <laughs> and for the Leaf fans, I think the Bruins are definitely going to be in the mix on a lot of guys, whether it's uh, even Mark Stone, Wayne Simmons, Michael Furlan. Um, they need some help, I think, got the winger position, and that's a Bruins team that's really going strong, like you mentioned. And, you know, they're probably one or two pieces away from 
being a legit Stanley Cup contender, especially if the goaltending continues to play as well as it, as it has. So, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, cross your fingers, but it looks like one of those guys is going to the Boston Bruins. Well, Furland and Simmons, you're absolutely right, and they're prototypical Boston players, aren't they? Like, it just it's just lining up and – Marchand will start licking people again, and you know it's just it's, I can't deal with it. Like, I've had enough Boston. Um, just be- before we go, uh, you know, no one we we've, we've mentioned this before. No one talks about the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, if you look at if you look at you know certainly how good Boston are, they've scored 184 goals this year. The Lightning have scored 244. They're like astonishing. Plus 81 in the goal difference. They've only lost five games at home all year. And yet no one really talks about this team like one of the great teams in, and I don't want to say in NHL history, but man, they look dominant in a year when everyone else is a parody. I wouldn't expect that lends them to make any moves because they got to be real happy with what they have. But what's going on with Tampa Bay? Is it like, do you expect them to even sniff around anyone or are they just like completely all in on what they have? Yeah, I think the latter. I don't, I don't think they make a single move. Why would you? Uh, this team looks like, one of those old Montreal Canadiens teams that's just firing on all cylinders. So why would you mess with it? And I don't think they have the cap space even to kind of mess with it or tinker, especially when you consider that uh, they need some assets going forward, uh, especially young prospects, because they're going to have to pay Braden Point next year. They're going to have to pay Andre Vasilevsky in a couple of years, which means that they're going to need some cheap players coming up through the system. So I don't think you can afford to give those guys up. But more to your point, they ain't touching anything right now. That team is just too strong that I wouldn't tinker even on the outside edges. Absolutely. All right, Mike, I think we'll leave it there for this week. We will have you back next week to talk about um, what has happened and and see what does come down on trade deadline day. I know it's going to be a busy weekend and uh, we will look forward then to our setting up the teams as they jockey for those seating positions in the Stanley Cup. So thanks for joining me, Mike. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can subscribe and uh, download every week on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. This is the Post Media Off the Post Hockey Podcast. We will talk to you all next week.